0: could soon turn us all into superhumans. What's wrong with that? Let's talk about it with Dr. Fuzz Rana and Steve Brown, etc.
1: He's, he's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc.
0: We are so glad you're here. And this is going to be an absolutely outstanding program. Uh, It's called Steve Brown Etc. And I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Very soon to no longer be called the old white guy. Because Fuzz (laughs) has a chapter on anti-aging technology. And I'm going to get a pill. I'm going to grow hair, this punch will disappear, and all the whiteness will revert to brownness. And
1: what do we call On this you? this
0: program, and the what? young white guy, okay?
1: Oh, that's what we're going to call you. Steve
0: 2.0. <laughs> Matthew Porter's with us. Matthew sent his kids back to school this week. No more lazy summer days. There were tears. Some cries, of this isn't fair, but eventually Matthew calmed (laughs) down.
2: That's true.
0: And our producer, Jinx, is working hard in the Little Glass booth. Speaking of future technology, Jinx is working on a new business. Yes. What is
3: it? So I'm combining food delivery services with time travel. So... While the people are still bickering and trying to figure out what to call and order, the guy's just going to show up <laughs> and be like, hey, in an, in an hour, you're going to pick the applebee, So here it is.
4: I like that. that is so and I'm out. <laughs> so so the assumption that they actually will come to a conclusion at some point in the future. Yes, that's they right. Yes. But yeah. they'll
0: know. I didn't make them choose it. Because time is elastic. Yeah. yeah. Who Listen, made that up? Look. I'll invest in that.
1: I'm
4: really doing it, Kathy.
1: <laughs> did you make that up or did Matthew make that up?
0: Listen,
5: we don't reveal the magician's secrets. We just enjoy the show.
1: Okay, whatever.
0: And John Myers is our video guy. He says he doesn't. I just said, you know, we've got to mention John. He's doing a lot of his work. And he said, I don't want people to know I work for you. This is not a good thing. So John Myers is our video producer. And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. And George is fine with the concept of enhanced superhumans as long as they're rich and give to Key Life. And then Kathy is the soft, feminine side of the program. Kathy will soon spend some time at a baking school to learn, not to teach. Can you believe that?
1: I know. I'm so excited.
0: You're going to learn to make croissants?
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. And, and And other stuff.
0: Well. Eclairs. Count me in. Yeah, we'll be the test. Cream I'll, I'll, See, I'll bring homework. them all
1: in. I'll bring yeah. them all in afterwards. And <laughs> <laughs> people can, people can while they're listening to the interview, they can watch you all eat I'll and drop food all over with the your front of you. thesis, and
0: thesis project. <laughs> 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 Dr. Fazelle B- Fuzz, Rana, is the vice president of research and apologetics at Reasons to Believe. He's authored several ground-breaking books. When he burps, they publish it, <laughs> including Who Was Adam? Creating Life in a Lab, The Cells Design. He has a Ph.D. in chemistry with an emphasis on biochemistry. What? From Ohio. I don't know. I just <laughs> read this. Ohio University. And his latest book, which I hold, in my nicotine-stained hands, is Humans Too Old. Scientific, too old. 2.0. 2.0. I'm caught up in this old thing. I'm going to take a pill. Where's that pill, gonna, Buzz? We need it's, it. <laughs> it's Freudian, and I'm doing Please that, send
1: like, the pill. Please.
0: <laughs> Scientific bill. Scientific, philosophical, and (laughs) theological perspectives on transhumanism. Told you I wasn't going to write that up there. It's too much. (laughs) First, first, some instructions from the oral cavity of the old guy. If you don't keep the fodder down low, this is going to be a wasted hour, okay? We've got to understand what you're saying, and that's the rule. We do that with you, and we do that with you and so uh, let's start off what is what's transhumanism?
3: Well, you know maybe your your listeners and your viewers are unfamiliar with the idea, but it's an idea that's been around for probably well over a hundred years uh, It's an idea that goes back. To the early 1900s and a scientist by the name of G- J.B.S. Haldane, who was a famous British geneticist who wrote a book called The Atlas*, where he projected that in the future, we could use things like what we today understand as gene editing uh, and artificial womb technology to take control of our own evolution as a human species and evolve human beings into kind of a new and improved version of ourselves. And this idea has, in recent years, gained uh, credibility thanks to advances that have happening in uh, gene editing and computer brain interface technology. But in a nutshell, it 's this idea that we have a moral obligation as human beings to augment our our bodies beyond our normal biological capabilities, uh, using again technology, with the idea of mitigating pain and suffering. Uh, promoting human progress and flourishing creating a utopian future and if the in the technology could even potentially uh, one day uh, give us uh, control over our life expectancy, maybe extend our life expectancy to the point that we would be practically immortal. And so people are using or looking to science and technology as a mode for our salvation. And so there's a very strong religious undertow to this transhumanist idea. You know, uh, when you
0: write a book like this, there's uh, considerable ambivalence, isn't there? Kind of like watching your mother-in-law go off a cliff in your new Cadillac. (laughs) I mean, there's some good stuff in this, and there's some stuff that scares the spit out of me.
3: Well you know this is the real complexity of transhumanism in in terms of how we need to think about engaging it because the, the many of the technologies that are fueling the transhumanist vision from a biomedical standpoint could literally be transformative you know there are people that are now saying that we could very well have treatments for genetic disorders for for which currently we have no treatment whatsoever that maybe, just maybe, we could eradicate certain genetic disorders from the human gene pool. Uh, For people that are suffering from brain injuries or strokes who are locked in, who can't communicate, computer brain interfaces could one day allow them to actually communicate through computer software. Uh, For people that are amputees, these computer brain interfaces can allow them to control robotic limbs with their thoughts or for people that are quadriplegic, to be able to gain mobility through exoskeletons that, again, they can control with their thoughts. So there's an enormous amount of good connected to this technology, but of course there's also a lot of ethical issues that that arise. Uh, But then on the other hand, it's a very frightening future to think of the power of this technology and what it could actually do to us in terms of our, our human identity.
0: You know, Matthew and I were discussing your book uh, a little bit earlier in my office, and Matthew said something profound. He said, this technology is going to go to you-know-who, the rich who get all the good stuff, and we're going to have an elite bunch of people controlling everybody. Is that Does that ring a bell with you?
3: Oh, yeah. That's one of the major concerns that have been raised with, you know— this kind of human enhancement technology i mean we already have this problem with medical technology medicine is becoming more and more expensive and and not everybody can afford you know medical care and so you wind up getting the medical haves and have nots well now think about that in terms of human enhancements we're going to wind up with those people that are the elites having access to the technology, which presumably is going to create an advantage for them, which then allows them to get access to even better technology. And so very quickly, we wind up with a stratification of our culture. So issues relating to justice are very much in the forefront when it comes to, you know, how do we ensure this technology is used well, but also how are we do we ensure that everybody has equitable access to it. So that's just one of the the myriad, you know, ethical issues that result from, you know, this technology that's emerging. Plus,
0: are people, you know, Christians, uh, anything new we're against, you know, we don't even like music unless it was written by a white man in the 17th century. But so we don't like change. And so we're against it. I mean, you just began that way. Uh, And I don't want to be that, and I'm sure you don't either, but are there ethical, bioethical discussions going on now among, well, we're going to have to wait for you to answer this on the other side of the break because having somebody like Fuzz is very, very expensive. And (laughs) (laughs) we've we've got to make a buck so we can pay him his fee. (laughs) Nah, he's doing it free. (laughs) But we'll find out a lot more that is a lot more scary than you ever believed on the other side of the break. The book is Humans 2.0. Not (laughs) 2.0. But we're going to talk about age and fixing that later.
2: Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini-book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini-books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini-book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of
0: $4. The book is Humans 2.0: Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. Uh, our guest is Fuz Rana. And he's promised to keep the fodder down low, so we can understand what he's talking about. Fuzz, before the break, I was interested in whether or not these issues are just being written about by you, or is there ethical and moral? Are there ethical and moral conversations taking place in scientific and academic circles about these issues?
3: Yeah, well, you know, this idea of transhumanism has, in the last few years, become academic mainstream, and so people at the upper echelons of technology development and uh, bioethics are really actively engaging uh, with transhumanism, and one of the challenges is the technology is progressing at such a fast pace that nobody has even time to properly digest what the technology could potentially be used for, let alone deliberate ethically as to whether we should develop the technology or if we do develop it, how do we properly deploy it? And in fact, um, many people that work in ethics right now are saying that we actually don't have ethical categories that properly help us to even categorize what's happening now uh, in technology development. And to me, this is where Uh, I think the Christian worldview can become so very important uh, because uh, people are calling for a new uh, kind of a new framework in bioethics. And what we argue in the book is that actually there's an ancient ethical framework that we ought to consider. And that's the one that flows out of the Christian worldview and the idea that human beings are made in God's image. That idea is so powerful uh, from an ethical standpoint that it actually can serve as an able guide for how the technology should be developed and used. And so it's really important, I think, for Christians to be able to enter into this conversation at the highest academic levels, but also with the, the, the man and the woman on the street. We have a real opportunity, I think, to shape our culture uh, if we play our cards well.
0: You know, some people are not going to do that. So I'm glad you're around.
5: (laughs) Fuzz, you know, we kind of touched on a little bit about what the enhanced technology could mean for human existence as far as editing genes to, to remove, you know, genetic disorders. And that, to me, is still in the realm of like, okay, that feels like a kind of a next step, certainly groundbreaking, but not ethically ambiguous yet but what are some of the other things that are maybe maybe within like the next five years or so as far as truly enhancing human existence as far as learning and understanding and um creating kind of a second version of homo sapiens
3: well you know i mean this idea of even gene editing being maybe a little bit way away in the future uh, right now, there are clinical studies that are that are pe- people are pursuing on a small scale of using gene editing to treat um, a handful of genetic disorders. So this may be an application that shows up in the clinic sooner rather than later. But you know, one of the 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 the, the concerns with the CRISPR gene editing is that it's so powerful and so easy to use and so inexpensive. In fact, for under two hundred dollars, you could. Um, Uh, go to Amazon.com and order a CRISPR gene editing kit that you can get the next day if you got Amazon Prime and do gene editing experiments on your kitchen counter. These are very basic experiments, but Mm -hmm. you can spend more money and actually get kits that uh, will allow you to do more and more sophisticated things. In fact, there's a biochemist by the name of uh, uh, Josiah Zahner who actually is is pioneering what's called a biology DIY movement, a biology do-it-yourself movement. And uh, he actually has developed a CRISPR kit that will disable the gene for a protein called myostatin. And this is a protein that controls muscle growth and development. And if that protein is disabled, muscle growth and development happens in an uncontrolled way. And so people have actually done gene editing on dogs and racehorses producing these Arnold Schwarzenegger-like looking animals. And and, and he's actually at a a foresight conference, uh, had a booth where he uh, very publicly injected himself with uh, the myostatin gene editing kit being the first example of somebody that has actually done gene editing on himself. And so you could very well in the near future have people setting up operations in different parts of the world where they offer gene editing uh, to people uh, that um, want to enhance their strength or want to enhance their their intellectual capabilities. And so this is is stuff that's actually right on our doorstep. Uh, And and, and the technology is progressing so rapidly that every day you turn around, there are improvements in the gene editing capabilities that make it even more and more powerful. And yeah, there are technical hurdles that have to be solved, but those technical hurdles are following left and right. And so, uh, you know, maybe the responsible use of the technology may be a decade away, but the irresponsible use of the technology is happening right now.
5: And, and so you th- it seems like there's a feeling that when we see this technology for the first time, it might not necessarily be after a series of studies and 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 control groups. It may kind of burst out from the underground from a completely DIY kind of uh, almost rebellious kind of point of view.
3: Yep, yep. And this is the the thing that's that's scary and frustrating because you, we we want to regulate the technology. But right now, there's not any means or mode to regulate it. You have these scientific groups that will issue guidelines for how the technology should be used. But then, you know, those are voluntary. Or you might have the World Health Organization laying out guidelines, but it's up to a country to adopt it or not. Mm. And so just last week, there was an announcement of a scientist in China who created the very first human monkey embryo that was a, a chimera. And he was from the Salk Institute in the United States, a highly reputable institution, but the institution would not allow him to do the work here in the U.S. So he went to China, where the regulations were different, and, and was able to do those experiments. And so you can see, they might be countries that set up genetic tourism industries, you know, fostering, you know, these you know, uh, gene editing companies. Uh, where people will travel and, and get the gene editing, you know, technique applied to them of their choice. So, again, I think it's highly irresponsible and unwise to do it, but it doesn't mean that people won't, particularly if you're chasing after greater intelligence, greater strength, greater psychological well-being.
0: Oh, this is, by the way, I'm a cynical old preacher. I don't have a very high view of human nature you get money and the kinds of things you're talking about involved and I don't see I don't see a way that you're going to stop it. I mean this this horse is out of the barn and he's already got a saddle on and uh, sliding riding across <laughs> the plains right and he's been shot with one of your <laughs> shots and he's really fast so we're going to talk about short of murder how do you stop this sort of thing or how do you get people to stop and think before they do something really really dangerous hey you don't want to miss a bit of this we like jesus will return
2: From Key Life comes two mini books, What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life, and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini-books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6.
0: You're listening to Steve Brown, Etc. And our guest, one of our favorite people, is Fuzz Rana. And he's written a book that's scary, but hopeful. Humans 2.0. And by the way, uh, Fuzz is a part of Reasons to Believe, and you ought to check that website out. It's reasons.org. And if you want to follow uh, Fuzz on Twitter, it's RTB underscore F Rana. R A N A. All right. Let's get back and deal with what we were dealing with before the break. How do you stop it?
3: Well, you know, I think it's really important as Christians, and you're mentioning this at the top of the show, Steve, we can't just simply condemn the technology or we can't just simply ignore it, hoping that it's somehow going to go away because neither are going to, have any influence on how the technology develops, we really have to engage, and we have to engage well. And that means that we all have to do our homework and try to understand, you know, what the technology actually is, and also be able to articulate, you know, again, a Christian worldview and and really a, a Christian system of ethics. You know, this idea that we are made in God's image is such a powerful idea because it means that Every human being has worth and value, and, and so therefore, uh, you know, we want to do what we can to to mitigate pain and suffering, to you know, to promote human flourishing. That same technique that can can create these super dogs and these super horses could be used to treat somebody with a muscle wasting disease as well. So there's good that is associated with the technology. So we want to uh, promote the development and the use of that technology. Uh, But at the same time, we recognize that human beings are sinful and that we we want to do what we can also to prevent exploiting human beings to ensure that there's a just use of the technology. And this is where, again, the image of God concept becomes so powerful. And because we bear God's image, we've been given a mandate to have dominion over the planet. And that dominion is, in a sense, a prescription to develop science and technology. So the Christian worldview uh, has a proper understanding of of what technology can be can do and how it can be used for good and how it can go awry and so, as Christians, we have a lot to contribute to this the, the conversation that happens about how the technology should be used and if we are able to exercise our voices and exercise them well, I think what we can do is actually leverage this technology to to usher in. Uh, the Kingdom of God, if you will to 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 begin to see the Kingdom of God established here on earth, so to me, this is frightening, but if we manage it and we we are again engaging it, we can influence it in a way that glorifies god and, and so to me the you know the the idea of should we play god isn't the right question because as human beings made in god's image, we have no choice but to play God. But really, the question is, are we trying to take God's place? And so for Christians, we, we can help utilize the technology in a way that we're playing God, but not trying to take God's place.
1: Mm. Fuzz, during the break, Matthew brought up a subject, and I wondered if you could just briefly—we're uh, we're coming, and we have like, about two minutes until the break, but if you could just comment, about, comment on that on the air. Matthew brought up the issue of, of um, like, literally downloading knowledge—
3: Yeah, well, you know, there's a a technology called computer brain interface technology where humans with their thoughts can learn to control, again, computer hardware and software, but also they they can receive signals from machines that their brain can process and interpret. And there have been some studies done where people have been able to pose like a mathematical question to a, a, a test subject who has the computer brain interface wired and then give the information feed the answer through the, the, the computer brain interface to the brain and they know what the answer is. Whoa. Or you can use computer brain interface technology through the, the, through the internet and I could actually with my thoughts control the movement of your limbs uh, if you have a computer brain interface tethered to you as well. And so oh the really God, like remote
0: brain. desktop for people Yeah, it's, you bat, yes, you bat exactly. your you eyes could, and go to google I could <laughs> ba-
3: yeah. I could balance my checkbook <laughs> I could have passed so,
5: Trigon and
3: yeah, so but you have people now like Michu Kaku, the physicist, talking about the brain net that's going to replace the internet, where we all will be basically tethered to each our brains will be tethered to one another and um, and we'll be able to share. Insights and experiences with one another, and information with one another through the, you know, through this interface. Now, we still are a way away from something like that happening. But when you again look at the advances in computer brain interface technology, uh, this idea of uploading our minds <laughs> to the, to a computer system, though I don't think will ever happen, it, it's it, it's the type of thing that that inspires transhumanists.
0: Yeah, I bet. I have a friend, an academic friend who is as we speak working on connections between pilots and their airplanes, even reading emotions and thoughts and applying that technologically to the art of flying. Wow. It's getting so, listen, I have a new car that even makes dinner for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna opt out all of this and just walk everywhere and, and tell the world, just leave me alone. <laughs> I know all I want to know. I don't want to go there. And frankly, I don't want to live forever. I'm getting sick of myself. And uh, you know there's a time when you say, I'm out of here and you really are <laughs> well we're going to talk about taxes on the other side of the break <laughs> keep it up and <laughs> don't go anywhere cuz we're coming back i have a friend who says that he and god have a deal i like to sin he says And God likes to forgive. I don't think I would have put it that way, but he does have a point. As I understand it, our sins draw us even though they destroy us. One can't speak as a non-sinner any more than one can speak as an outsider of the human race. And yes, God does like to forgive. But he likes to restore too. So it really is a good deal. I like to sin less, and God is restoring more. Why? Because he likes me. You too. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. You're listening to Steve Brown, et cetera. And we're so glad you're here. The book I hold in my hands is Humans 2.0. It's by Fuzz Rana. It's a book you ought to get. It's um, and and Fuzz writes in a way you can understand. It doesn't mean you're going to give it to your third grader, but <laughs> you need to you need to spend some time with this book because these are issues. Uh, and, and Christians opt out of issues. We're not even a part of the conversation. And one of the reasons that I rise up and call Fuzz, um, blessed is because he doesn't, he's got his finger in those pies and he's involved and he's talking.
4: Unless your third grader has been genetically enhanced, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course. If he has one of those shots,
1: <laughs> you should check with your wife, George, who teaches third grade. Yeah, yeah. she it's might put have Her one. out of
4: business—that's <laughs> <laughs> for sure. they will be way beyond her, and just have the the uh, Google gene implanted. Plus, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Steve mentioned being cynical, and it, and frankly, you know. Being even realistic, and certainly having a sense from uh, uh, theology and so forth of the kind of the nature of man and so forth, it's hard not to be uh, a little bit frightened of the possibilities of something like this. But you've talked about, you know, certainly the good possibilities with it and the role that Christians can have in this. Where would you bring those together? What what is the Christians' role in in uh, talking to this subject and being involved in this subject and both in the short term and the longer term?
3: Well, you know, I mean, we've kind of, you know, talked a little bit about how Christians can contribute to the ethical conversations about how the technology should be used. And, you know, I think it's really important for young people in the church who are interested in science and engineering and medicine to really consider actually going into fields that involve developing these technologies, because as Christians, they represent salt and light in those communities and can have a profound influence on, again, how the technology can be used for good and how to minimize its, its, its you know, the exploitation of human beings and the, the misuse of the technology. But, but, you know, to me, you know, there's another place where Christianity, I think, can become very important as we look towards a future where transhumanism is a prominent idea, And that is to recognize that there's some remarkable parallels between Christianity and transhumanism. And there's nothing really wrong with the transhumanist vision in this sense. They they recognize that that the world that we live in is broken, and they want to use technology to fix it, to promote human flourishing, to to try to bring an end to pain and suffering, to try to create some kind of utopia they they recognize that there's something unnatural about our death as human beings. And so they, they want to correct that. They want to try to overcome, you know, the the, the sting of death, if you will. The, and, and, and they have everybody has a sense that as human beings, we have a purpose, we have a destiny. Everybody wants genuine hope. And for people that are transhumanists, they're seeking to, to fulfill this need that every human being has through science and technology. Uh, but yet as Christians, we realize that the way that we would argue that that need could ultimately be filled, where death could be overcome, where justices can be in, can, can be corrected, where, you know, humans flourish, where there's no more pain and suffering, it's through the gospel, it's through the person of Christ. And so we're looking for uh, essentially a utopia with the return of Christ versus trying to create that utopia through technology. And so really, that is the opportunity I think that we have as Christians is because transhumanism is really laying bare the need that everyone has for the gospel. And what a golden opportunity to to be able to impact our culture with, with the gospel uh, and I think in the next decade or so, the biggest competitor to the Christian gospel will be the transhumanist gospel. And so it's really important for us to be able to show why that's a false gospel and why the, the, the gospel of in, that's rooted in Christ is actually the true hope that we have.
4: But at the same time, to affirm, you know, their natural interest in, and so forth in the transhumanism, I mean, to turn that as... Yeah, your your motivation to do something there is makes sense, but here's where it ultimately should go.
3: It, that, and, that's exactly right. And you know, when you look at the the work that's been done in the history and the, f- the philosophy of technology, almost to a person, everybody recognizes that technology, while it can uh, solve problems, always creates new problems mm-hmm. that sometimes are worse than the problems they solve. Yeah. And and you know, and um, and technology always has unintended consequences, and and it always disappoints us in some way. And so, I think transhumanists, if they're guilty of anything, it's naivety, thinking that technology can actually give us utopia and can give us genuine salvation. And so, I think it's very easy th- by looking at the work in, that others have done uh, in you know the, the the philosophy of technology to be able to very quickly make an argument that most people realize is a valid argument why technology can never truly save us.
0: It it can create hell. Matthew was talking about when they, in China, did the monkey human thing. He said that everybody he knew would say, look, and he's talking about unbelievers. That's mm-hmm. wrong. There's something wrong with that. I don't know why it's wrong, but it's wrong. And there is a yeah. moral standard that's a part of our DNA. C.S. Lewis referenced it. And uh, we can take advantage of that as Christians with these kinds of discussions. I mean, they're going to create a living hell. It scares the spit out of me. Not the good part of the technology, but the bad part of the hearts that are creating it. And, you know, this could go in ways that would make... The worst science fiction seem like Sunday school stories if we're not very careful. But yeah. you... Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: I was just gonna say we we really have no choice but to engage this and engage it well and, and and not to be frightened but to see it as an opportunity to advance the gospel. That's
0: true. Are you and we just have a few seconds, so it might be a yes or no. <laughs> are you hopeful?
3: Yes, I am. I'm hopeful and I'm excited about what the future is going to look like, um, because I think, again, there's some real opportunities here for good to come out of these advances and real opportunities for the gospel, I think, in ways that that haven't existed in in recent years.
0: And and have you been able yourself to kind of test it uh, with unbelieving friends to see their reaction to the things that you're saying?
3: Uh, I have, and you know, in fact, uh, Ken Samples and, and, and who's my co-author were looking to actively set up a panel with uh, some transhumanists to just talk about ah. how just about you know uh, two differing perspectives on transhumanism. So great opportunities.
0: Would you come on with us and tell us what happened if it takes place? I sure will. You're a good man. You're always fun, Fuzz. Uh, I'm glad you're around, and I'm glad you're part of our family, because I wouldn't want you on the other side. (laughs) God bless you, Fuzz, for spending this time with us. Thank you. Guys, we're going to back out for a little bit, and then we'll tell you on the other side of the break the person to whom we're going to do this next week.
2: Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini-book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini-books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini-book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4.
0: Man, what a great hour with Fuzzvana. He's always that way. And he's a little weird the way we are, so he fits in. (laughs) But he's an amazing man. And guys... I don't like this. You know, I don't like any change. I, I really don't. Never have. If I had my way, things would be exactly as they were the day I was born. But we can't afford to do that. We've opted out of too much. We've opted out of pop culture. We've opted out of entertainment, and Matthew, you have opted back in, and you're doing some things that are really important. And we've opted out of science, and we've opted out of academics, and we just can't do that because we are the salt, we're the leaven, and that i didn't say that. I mean, the guy said it. Jesus said it, and so we need to be a part of the dough, as it were. We need to have our fingers in those pies, as it were. We need to go places where these kinds of things are discussed.
3: Well, and, you know, I always remind myself, and sometimes it sounds too easy, but, you know, last time I checked, God was still in control. And uh, <laughs> we've seen the end, and he wins. So you know, whatever he takes That's us right. through, he'll, he'll drag us through
4: it.
5: Yeah, and I hope they never make that human-monkey hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> But if they do, you want one. I want to see it.
0: Listen, I want to I'm see getting it. a new German Shepherd, I'm going to get one of those shots for him.
3: With five legs?
0: I'm going to scare <laughs> this. Sh- yeah, man. I'm going to have a super dog at home. And Shepherds are already super dogs. You give them a shot, man, there ain't no stopping. Kathy. Yes. Who's going to be on next week?
1: Next week's going to be really unique and For the different. The people that don't live forever. Yeah. Caleb Wild is gonna be with us. He's a funeral director. Yeah. And he's he's <laughs> Whose re- idea
0: was this?
1: Well he's his book is titled Confessions of a Funeral Director, How Death Saved My Life. And this is somebody that your friend, Eric Guzman, has wanted to Wanted to speak with. And so we thought this would be a perfect opportunity since you aren't going to be with us next week. So Eric will be the host and he will be finding out how death changed Caleb Wilde's life.
0: Saved his life. I'm glad. That's a relief. I I know. Well, we figured. Old people don't like to spend time with funeral directors, okay?
1: Especially really old people. It's in
0: the rule book of old people. That's right. Stay out of funeral homes. Yep. (laughs) You hear that lady who was 94 and her husband died at 98? Funeral director said, How old are you? And she said, I'm 94. Hardly worth my even going home,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> guys. We're out of here, but we're gonna, but we're gonna come back next week, and we hope you do too. Same times, same place. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't, and that gives you a wide, wide berth.